Hello friends, welcome to the show. My name is Tom Broback and my guest today is Austin Yoakum. Austin is the owner of Yoakum Strength and has an awesome follow on Instagram. His podcast brings to light his insights and conversations with many of the best coaches in the sports performance realm. Austin talks about the meaning behind chopping wood, how one text message changes life, and the value of alone time to prove creativity. Make sure you follow him on social, and thanks for listening to the show. How do you keep the mindset of your... Uh, your whether it's your podcast, your social media, or just like your business and who you are as a coach, how do you keep that as something unique when there are so many other platforms and coaches and voices out there? I don't know, man. I think I'm kind of, I've been a weirdo my entire life. I think that's a big <laughs> part of it. Like I was always an outcast in school. Um, like I did, I wore Pokemon shirts and Yu-Gi-Oh shirts and was way too into the fantasy world of like that type of thing. Like I was a freaking nerd, man. Uh, all the way up until like eighth grade until I found like football as a sport. But then even as football, like then I become, I have like a very obsessive kind of mindset. Like if I find something I like, like I get super addicted to it. And that's why I like, don't like picking up hobbies. Cause I pick up hobbies. Like I get too addicted. I'm like, Oh shit. Now I got to get rid <laughs> like chess, man. I've been playing chess recently. And I spent so much time trying to get good at chess and mastering. I'm like, why am I doing this? Like there's, there's five-year-olds out there that could roast me in chess, but the, the that kind of mindset of just like i don't know I, I i go down a rabbit hole of something that i find super really interesting to me and it's probably not super interesting to other people in that moment and then i bring those lessons that i got out of that into the real life and i just try to be kind of who i am rather than trying to be like what other people like most of my writing is just me trying to figure out my own thoughts you know like on the instagram like it's me figuring out what the fuck I'm trying to say. And well, like a um, big thing I do is like, I do like, I call them spirit walks, but it's just a walk, fasted walk. I'll do them mo- usually every morning, just go on these walks and ideas will pop up. I just write these ideas down quickly. Some of the ideas are terrible. I like walk around I'm like that idea did not go anywhere. It popped up in my head. I wrote it down. And then some of those ideas I'm like, all right, there's something there. Like there's this thread there. How can I continue to dive down that thread? Like what, what, what are those words mean? Why did that idea pop up? What's that, what's that mean in this life? And then try to create a story, create a meaning out of that. And that's been something that's been super powerful in my life, kind of describing that writing process for me, because it, it helps make sense of the world to me a little bit more, if that makes sense. Like I continue to dive down those rabbit holes and write like that. When you go on those walks, do you find yourself thinking, similar thought patterns or similar thoughts as the day before as the day before as the day before do you have to force yourself to think new thoughts uh no uh that's what's really good for the walks for me so as a kid and I, I just put this kind of together um like last year sometime as a kid i used to do the same thing like i would walk around with this i it's weird i was talking about a weird kid i walk around <laughs> with this stick uh and i would have like I would have straight up battles. Like I would just remember my imagination back when I was a kid, I would be entrapped in, in this like trance, like state of like battling these imaginary monsters that I came up with in my head, but I could visually see it, like create it with my brain. But it was like that flow state, man. Like where you're just walking and doing it and you're totally in a different dimension. Almost that is very similar to now I go, I go on these walks and it's play some music. Uh, and it's, it's just a totally different world. Like 
I, I try to describe the feels like it's not my words that I come up with during that time. I have no idea where these words come from. It's words, ideas that pop up. And again, not all of them are good, or maybe they're good, but I just have no idea how to make sense of them. So like every day I go on those walks, it's, there's so many new things that pop up. And a lot of it too, is like, it, it's kind of my digesting time. That's how I kind of look at it too, is like, I take in knowledge, like read podcasts, um, articles, all these knowledge, knowledge piece, but it's like, how much time do you spend actually digesting that stuff and like processing and like tying it together? Cause that's the thing I, I see. Like everybody talks about how many books they read. Everybody talks about how many articles they read. It's like, all right, what are you doing with that knowledge? How are you bringing that to your own light? And that's something that I think I probably don't read as many books as most people. I read a lot. I, I do. I'm a geek about reading, but probably not as much as most people. I'd probably not as many articles as most people, probably not as much podcasts as most people. But what I think I do a good job of is, digesting that material on these spirit walks. And then it's like, all right, you have all these ideas here and now you're giving yourself time to process these ideas. And it melds into one kind of mega idea for that day. And then processing down what that mega idea means. So that's been something that I've been thinking about a lot is how do you come up with these ideas? How do these new things kind of pop up and where do you take that? You use two phrases, you had good words and you also had terrible ideas. What are your definitions for like a good word, a good thought, a good plan versus like a terrible idea, a terrible thought? Like, how do you define good and bad when it comes to your thinking, your writing, your creativity? See, that's something that I've been struggling with, too, is because like these words pop up, these ideas pop up. And it's like, who am I to judge if they're good or bad? You know, like I'm just some idiot 25 year old walking around on <laughs> these walks. Like these ideas are coming from somewhere. Like, what do you believe in? They're coming from something. And I'm going to be the one to judge like they're good or bad. It's probably just my understanding of that idea and words in the moment and how honestly how I process them. That's why I was saying like maybe some of those ideas are really phenomenal and I'm just so, too dumb to process what, what I'm supposed to do with that. And I, I think I talk about good ideas is uh, that's where I'm able to make sense of that idea. So maybe it's not the best idea that they had on that walk, but I'm actually able to make sense of it and take it somewhere and experiment with it. And sometimes it's training ideas. It's Maybe it's a game. Maybe it's something like, I'm watching there was one time I was watching um, we were walking in January I was taking a walk on this frozen lake that we have next and there was this kid just playing in this it was it was fucking cold it was like minus 20 degrees outside it was cold and this kid was just face down in the snow just doing a snow angel smiling and like everybody else was freezing and that was an idea like then something instantly popped up it's like all right like what's our perception of things how how like that kid perceives the snow, perceives that lake, perceives the environment he's in as fun and he's warm and he's feeling great. And literally he has to be told to leave. And everybody else is like, this is fucking cold. I'm not going outside. So you talk about the perception piece there. It's like, all right, how can we take that perception piece and apply it to training? You know, so that's kind of how my brain works on these walks. I'm like watching that little kid do that. I'm like, all right, now we take the barbell squat and you, you perceive it as a kid. Uh, it's something that's dangerous. You perceive it as a kid because uh, the fear mongering is something in our field that is horrible, man. Like mm -hmm. you have these coaches that tell you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You have to do this. I have the right methods. And many times it's just because the coach doesn't want to do their research. I, I was talking about like we were talking ISOs today and there was, there was a kid telling me like my coach told me not to do ISOs because they're dangerous. It's like that's so dumb. Like you're just scared to do the research into that. But how can you get the perception piece in your training, trying to tie all this together? I was going on a rant that we talked about not going on earlier, but uh, how can you bring that perception piece into your training to where that back squat is viewed as something good, uh, is viewed as a force production tool? Um, or maybe it's gymnastics. That's another one is 
gymnastics, kids are told like, Hey, don't bend your spine. Hey, uh, don't like fall onto the ground. It's like, what, the, what are you talking about? That happens all the time in sports. And now you have kids in training that are scared to do it because they're told never to bend their spine. They're told never to fall to the ground because they're going to get hurt. So now you have kids that are scared of doing what they're required to do in their sport when they fall, when they trip, when they have to get into these positions. And now you're not going to train for it. And then you wonder why we have a lot of injuries. And it's, it's like, that's a small piece of it. But how can you take the perception piece of, no, you're not scared of that movement. No, it's, it's not a bad position to be in. You can go there. Your body can do this. It, it's able to do all these things. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. And that's how I draw ideas. That, that's kind of how my brain works. It goes ding, 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 ding. Was there a time in your life where there was a transition from you perceiving yourself as weird or different or unique? And that went from a bad outcast thing to a, I am of a, a one of one, and this is my superpower and makes me unique. I think it's a, it was kind of a daily battle and call it. I mean, it's happened in waves in my life. It's like, sure. you're the loser at the, in your, when you're young and then it, it pays off because you're unique and people re reward that in a sense. And, and for a while it was sports. And then you get, uh, you graduate college and you're the weird kid that didn't take the, the first job that was offered to you. And you, you start your own gym and you do that. And you're the weird kid that's talking about playing. You're the weird kids that's doing all these rolling and these crawling movements. And you're that weird person. And then it turns out to be, all right, holy shit. Like that's a brand that people care about. And it's, it's not, you're not everybody else. So people are actually going to invest. All right. This person's actually real. And they're telling me what I really think. And that's where it really starts to take off. Cause that's, that is something I've, I always, I've always known I've been weird, um, but it's the perception of other people. And that's something that I've been different on accepting because before it was like, it was the, the egotistic, like football guy. It's like, oh, you, you counted me out before. Like, fuck you. Now that I made it, you want to be my friend. And it's like, now it's like, all right, well, no, sh I was the weird kid. Like, no shit. You didn't believe in that. Like I was fucking all over the place. Like I was right. coming up with all these new things. And now, now that it's working, now that you're seeing the results, it's like, that's my job to show you. Like, that's my entire thing. So it's not like, any bad wishes on anybody it's it's now but it's now it's kind of the wave is riding up and I, there's still people out there that think it's weird i think some of the stuff that i do is weird like that's all right like it's it's part of the journey and we're just on the fringe of kind of exploring some of these sports performance methods that we really want to push forward but that journey to accepting like, i think we're all weird that's another thing is like every single right. one of us is weird anybody that tells you they're not weird anybody that acts tries to act normal the entire time it's like that person is fake and you can tell instantly like they're faking who they are all of us are weird. We're humans, man. Like we all have messed up childhoods, messed up parts in our lives. You like, you have a breakup, you have something that makes you weird and just accept it. Like just be out there. That's something that I try to do with my athletes. It's like, we just finished up this 7 PM session. I had nine weirdos in here. Like everybody was weird. And some of the stuff they're talking about, I'm like, Oh my God, all of you are weird. I'm like, I'm weird. Like that's a perfect environment. And now everybody's able to come out and be who they are. I think, I think that's super powerful, not just in the gym setting, but kind of in the world setting. And the only way to really inspire that is to do it yourself. You know, like you can't just force people to do it if you're not being it yourself. If you're trying to be this kind of robot because you want somebody else to think of you a certain way. It's like, man, that's that's not who you are. Just be who you are. It's funny when you're, uh, and I don't know if it's like a younger thing or you're just like new to the environment, but like as a younger coach or, or for me, like I've, I've been a coach and a therapist. Like when you first start out, you just like, you don't want to like stick out. Like you're just trying to like get to the middle to like fit in and be part. And you just think like, that's what everyone's looking for is like this, like normal, uh, you know, like, you know, what you're getting kind of basic, like, and then like you start realizing like 
people like you for like your unique traits or personality or the funny quotes that you do or the funny and like people like that uniqueness in you. And once you start realizing that it's so much better to like double down and just be who you are and not worry about doing it someone else's way or doing it the normal way, just like do it the best way you can. And that's when it really changed for me where it's like, you know what, I'm going to say these dumb jokes that I think are funny. Maybe they don't, but it's better than just being this vanilla bland coach who no one's going to remember or recognize because you you're like a million other people out there. Exactly. And that's something that I have to give my parents like a really big shout out for, because that's something they installed in me from like day one. Like, and it, it was more from example than from telling me specifically like, Hey, do your own thing. It was just like, they were themselves. They, they were weird. They got themselves in trouble in trouble doing things that like they thought were right. And it paid off for them. And I just watched that. And I'm like, all right, like they, they never once told me, Hey, you have to do this. Hey, you have to do this sport. They were, they, they pushed me to do what I wanted to do. They pushed me to do um, just to be a better person. Like parents should like, they shouldn't be there to be your friends and like coddle you for everything. They, they were hard asses on me for sure. But they never once told me you have to live up to this. You have to do this. You have to become a doctor. You have to do this. It was like, like I said, like I was wearing Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon shirts until eighth grade, you know, like I was doing that stuff and they didn't care. Like I was, I was Austin, you know, I was Austin to them and they allowed me to be Austin. And that was something that's, I I just watched some kids and I watched some of my friends and I watched some, some people going through life that they have 20 to 30 years of their parents' expectation. And they've they've never shedded that, that they've been told they have to be this person. I mean, that I, I have friends that literally they, they went to a college because their parents told them to go to that college. They right. went to their major because their parents told them to get the major and they're in their job because their parents told them that was a good job. And it's like, man, like the box they were put in since they've been born, like they, they are not their own person. And until you're able to shed that, until you're able to be your real self. And it, I don't think the parents don't have the bad wishes. It's like they, they want the best for their kids and they're pushing forward for that. But it's like, who am I? as a, as a human, as a flawed human to tell another person that this is the right answer when you have no idea, like, oh, that, that's, that was another big acceptance points for me is when I was growing up is like, I, I respected authority to the T like authority, authority, authority. I was, I was raised in that way Same. until I realized like most people have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Like right? the, the biggest experts, the more you talk to experts, the biggest, like the top of top fields, people that really know their shit even they don't know their shit. And, and then they don't even know the answers. They don't even know the questions to ask for the next answers to get, you know, like we right. are so far behind. And yet, and that was a study of a history for me too, is like realizing like at every point in history, we think we're, we think we have all the answers. Like Rome thought they had all the answers. Now we look at back at them and we laugh. We're like, dude, look at all the stupid things that we're doing. And yet we sit in our time and age and we're like, oh, we have all the answers. Look how great we are. It's like, no, dude, in a hundred years, somebody's going to look back at us and they're like, you guys are idiots. Like you guys are apes. And it's like, until you can accept that point, until you can really look at life in that way, it's really, really tough because you just want to accept what the experts say. You want to accept what this person says. It's like nobody, it's a scary thought because it's hard to be sure of things then, but nobody really knows what the hell they're talking about at any point. Going back to your parents, do you feel like they held you to a standard because that was a standard you wanted for yourself? Like, hey, these are the things I expect on my life. And then they parented towards that versus 
holding you to a standard that they wanted. And if you didn't meet that, you're a disappointment to them. Yeah. So it was never like a disappointment vibe ever. Right. It was literally, it was, and it was never, man, it was, it's tough to describe. It was just like, it was work. Like, I mean, that was the number one lesson is like, whatever you're going to do, like you're going to work for it. And that, that was the lesson. Like there was, there wasn't an expectations on results. It wasn't an expectation on like what you're producing. I'm not saying this is the best way. I'm not saying it's the worst way. Like every parent fucks up when they do what they're doing. It was just you're going to work like that. That was the number one message. And when you do you, and that, when I went to St. Thomas, that was something that really drew me there was that was the process versus the result. And as basic as that sounds, if you're truly able to just focus on the work, so many things just happen that like the results kind of take care of themselves. And that with the gym, like it's like, all right, daily posts. All right. Daily reach outs. All right. Daily, uh, studies and uh, knowledge acquisition for myself so I can provide something to my clients daily work with my clients daily actually showing up and caring about my clients. And then it expands from training people three people for free for an entire three months to what we have now, you know, like it's none of that was super planned and meticulous in the planning. It was all like, all right, do your daily steps. That's what the whole keep chopping wood part is like, continue to swing the axe every single day. You know, swing it, you swing it, that tree's not going to chop, not going to fall, not going to fall, not going to fall. Next swing, it does. All right, sweet. Your tree fell, you accomplish that thing. Now you go to the next tree. And that's the entire process that we try to preach here at Yoakum Strength is pick up that ax, man. Just swing once, a, once a day, once a day. If you do one thing at every single day and you swing that ax and you continue to move forward in that way, stuff's going to start to happen. It has to. It's, it's the, the law of momentum. I really like that analogy and that visualization. I think too often we look at the forest instead of the individual tree and the forest might be making a million dollars a year, having a 20,000 square foot gym, uh, having, you know, 20 employees, things like that. It's like external extrinsic goals that you really don't have much control over instead of like you just talked about the the daily reading the daily uh social media the daily reaching out the daily training the daily investing in yourself those are those individual trees you take one by one and it's really hard to only focus on those for a long period of time but when you do you end up with this huge i guess it's the opposite of forest you have all these trees chopped down and you look back and it's like wow i've come so far because i focused on the the process and the individual things that make up the bigger picture that I was really going after in the first place. Yeah. And two personal stories there. The first yeah. one in the sports world. So athletes listening, I went into St. Thomas as the seventh string fullback. There is like, if you guys know American football, like there's one fullback and he barely ever touches the field at St. Thomas. He plays a little bit more than most places, but it's one fullback that barely ever touches the field. And I came into there as a seventh string fullback. Like, that is bad. I was a horrible football player. Right. And the entire, like by the time I graduated, it was an all American defense alignment. Like the, the, without like that, that change without that daily, like keeping chopping wood. And by my, my freshman year, I thought about transferring and this is where keep chopping wood actually comes from. I, I, I was, I mean, I was down in the dumps. I was like, I don't love football. Like I'm not loving what I'm doing. I was a seventh string fullback. I had some mental weakness going through. I'm like, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm, I have all these doubts. And I texted my high school head coach and I was like, Hey coach, I uh, just wanted to let you know, you, you were an awesome inspiration for me. You're the reason I came to St. Thomas, but not loving it here. I'm not doing the right thing. And uh, I think I'm going to quit and transfer. I was just going to go back home, take the easy route and go, go to college near home and quit football. Cause it was the easy route. 
And all he texted me back was, that's not who you are. Keep chopping wood. And I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what he was saying there. Um, and that you talk about like, it's giving me chills right now thinking about it. Cause that saying like that one text started Yoakam strength, started you and I having this podcast right here. It cascaded mm -hmm. everything. Cause if I had left college, if I had done those things and just quit, none of this would have happened, you know? And all he did is text that text message. And the, the cool thing is I asked him last year sometime I told him, I was like, Hey, like that text message changed the entire direction of my life, the entire direction of what I was doing. And he doesn't, he doesn't remember sending it. So you think about like <laughs> the, the, the impact you have right. every single day without having any idea on what you're doing. Yep. Like doesn't even remember sending that text message and it completely cascaded an effect to everything that we're doing today. Like that's the stuff that really kind of gets me fired up of like, it's a daily process. It's tiny, 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 tiny things that you do. It's sending those texts, saying those things in the tiniest of moments and the smallest of things that lead to insane butterfly effects that you have no idea how crazy it can change the world, how much it can change the world. And that, that's what, if there's one thing that really gets me up in the morning, it's knowing that those small things can completely change the world. It, it's a snap of the finger without you even knowing. 100% on that. I'm I'm always careful, especially when I'm talking to younger kids of how I phrase certain things, whether it's about like school or training or their coach or their parents, because as it's hard when you have always been on like the player side or the student side or the child side, and you haven't always been on the influencer side, whether you're like the coach or the parent or the therapist in my case, but that one, like if you say like school's dumb or your coach doesn't always doing, or your parents are too, like you have no idea how that's going to impact that kid. So if you're going to make a, a off the cuff comment, like there might be ramifications for that. So I think once you start feeling you have impact on people, understanding how those comments, and like you said, it's one text message. He doesn't even remember saying, he could have said uh, a million different things in that situation. But he probably said what he felt was best knowing like his relationship with you and it changed the course of your entire life, which is a truly incredible story. Well, and the, the, the other part that is you like once it, it part of it's like paying attention in your own life then when that happens. So you, like that's a big piece is you can't be just going through the motions when you have these athletes coming in. And once you understand that that was a big piece for me when I became a coach is like that step from player to coach is like these guys look at me the same way I looked at my high school head coach that changed right. my life. And once you make that click, it's like, all right, shit, dude, you better start paying attention to your life. You better start cleaning up these things. You better start fixing all the flaws that you have. Cause otherwise you're taking every single person that's looking up to you. You're taking them down with you. And until you can get that awareness piece of this person's actually watching me, this person's trying to be like, there's a reason they're trained. I just had a talk with Bobby white yesterday and he's like, there are people that drive. And he's like, I don't care if they drive an hour or five minutes. Like they're training with me for a reason. Like why, why are they coming to me and not the 2000 other trainers within the area? Like there's something there. They believe in me. And if somebody, man, if somebody's going to believe in you, they're going to, they're going to buy into who you are as a person, right. as a human being, you better, you better be, have your shit put together. Like you better be there for that person. You better invest in yourself. So you're able to invest in them. And that's, that's a part where a lot of coaches, it's like, you, you hear these stories, like the, the, the getting D dubs as a coach, doing these things. And that's like, whatever, like 
flawed humans again, but it's like, if you don't have your life together as a coach and you're trying to show other people the path, it's like, not only are you going down the wrong path, now you're bringing 1500, 200 people with you. And now it's starting to cascade. So again, it goes back to those small things, but paying attention to your own life as a coach and making sure your own life is cleared up. I have a the quote in my gym is set your own house in order before you criticize others from Jordan Peterson. It's like, those words, if that's not true, if that's not set in order, like you're going to have a tough time as a coach. I agree with that for sure. Have you read the book, Chop Wood, Carry Water? Yeah. Yes, I have. Okay. After, yeah, after the text, because I didn't know what that, that word, keep chopping wood was coming from. I was going to say, like, either you live in this parallel universe where all these thoughts are very similar to what this book has, or there's some cross section there. But I just reread that book and there's so many lessons in that in terms of just showing up every day, doing the dirty work, um, preparing yourself for the opportunity before the opportunity comes. And I think too often as athletes and coaches, when the opportunity comes, we like want it, but we haven't prepared ourselves for that. And then we're disappointed when we don't get a promotion, we don't get to grow our business. We don't get to perform on the biggest stage but it's because we didn't dedicate ourselves to the path to be prepared for that opportunity necessarily and, and, and seeing something that's not always there. It's hard to prepare for a job when there's not a job offer out there. It's hard to prepare for a game when you're the backup, 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 fullback. It's hard to do those things, but I think the best people have this like uncanny ability to relentlessly like dedicate themselves to the path when they can't see more than a step or two ahead of them, but they just trust in themselves. This is going to work out in some way. Well, and you mentioned the trust in yourself and that's something that I think is very undervalued. Like you got to have a belief system. And I, 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 I've been, that's something I have not figured out where it comes from for me, but I've always had a stupid like belief system in myself. I have no idea where it came from. I, I, I don't know if it's parents. I don't know if it's how it's raised. I don't know if it's just genetics, but the belief system I've had in myself is like stupid optimism. Like there is no reason some of the stuff that I've started off and done uh, has worked out. Like there's no reason. Like I, I just believed that it would and I, I did it. But that if, without that belief system, without the like just mental reps of continually and just like, and it's not like even the grind. It was like, I'm, it's just, it's, gonna happen it's it's gonna go forward and without that like you're you, you can't function because as soon as a roadblock comes you're if you don't have the belief system it's, it's gonna fall apart and that that, that was a big thing i'm still trying to process where that comes from innately but i, I can pick it out on athletes right away uh, freshmen when freshmen come in at st thomas when people come in here i know who has it and who doesn't instantly it's a piece you pick up and it's like that person believes in what they're saying. That person believes in who they are. And 9.99999 times out of 10, that person way over exceeds what they should. It way over succeeds. So now kind of one of the rabbit holes I've been diving into is like, how do you unlock that belief system in that person? How do you block that, unlock that kind of confidence piece in that person to where the sets and reps don't really matter because if that piece isn't there, they're going to fall apart at the first roadblock. So how can you unlock that with your athletes? And these are the important things that I think aren't talked about enough in the sports performance world. And I think they should be. And I think we need to dive a little bit deeper into these kind of routes of belief, intense attention to the training focus, and really tie these things together into our sports performance package rather than 
sets and reps, weights, force production, um, even velocity, man. They're like all these metrics are great. We're not throwing them away, but we got them. Like any good coach that you want to compete with, any good athlete, like they have these metrics. They know what you're talking about. What's the next piece? Like you're missing a whole foundational piece below that. Like doesn't matter if that athlete runs fast. If they step on the field, they don't believe themselves and they're scared of doing something, they're screwed. Like it's going to all fall apart. So I think big focus in the sports performance world and what I need to continue to push the message on is focusing on these kind of foundational pieces. To expand on that a little bit, I think coaches often preach like don't don't shoot to not miss, like shoot to make it, like if we're talking basketball. But I think the the practices and the and the and the drills and even the games, they're structured in a way like when you miss, you're punished. So then you're afraid of missing. Like you're trying not to miss versus being rewarded for making or rewarded for trying or for being rewarded to like step up and like make the most of the opportunity. Do you think that is, is an issue in sports or even in sports performance as well? Oh, and so like, what are things we can do to help fix that? Uh, that that's, I mean, that's an entire thing that I focus on. Like I, if, if there's a number one thing that we excel at, uh, anything else is like average. So you can call me average on everything else. The number one thing we allow our athletes to do is explore everything that they do. They fail, have fun, understand it's, failing in that rep. Why, why did we fail? What happened? All right. It's not because you're in, this is a part, Bobby, I talked about this yesterday too, is it you didn't miss and get tackled because you're a shitty person or because you're a shitty football player. And that's the cascade, man. You, you, you have an athlete step onto the football field. It's they mess up a block. They get yelled at. The first thought that pops up is I messed up. I'm a bad football player. All right. You mess up again. All right. I'm worthless. All right. I mess up again. I'm a bad person. And it cascades in that event. And then yeah. you wonder why these athletes are burning out and why it's not working. It's like you messed up. That person trained is, is doing the same thing. Why'd you mess up? Like what happened? How'd they get you? Then you got to get them addicted to messing up and understanding why they messed up and diving into that process. Mm-hmm. Cause that accelerates their growth so much. It's like, all right, that guy beat me. The, there's no ego involved. That guy beat me. Why did he beat me? And then you talk about the competitive. Oh, you know, the killer is just going to be pissed. Bullshit. What the killer is going to do, what the person that really wants to do is going to do, they're going to analyze that movement over and over and over and over again. They're going to realize that guy beat me in that moment. What did he do? All right, he took away this inside step and I gave him a little bit. I showed him this part. Uh, I need to get better there. But without exposing yourself to those those failures, like you're just going to do the things that you're good at. And then inevitably, somebody's going to force you to fail. So in my training, I'm going to put you in situations where you're going to fail as much as possible. I'm going to put you in situations where it's awkward. Uh, Gymnastics is a really good one for football guys. Like you're going to suck. It's an entryway into the mind with gymnastics because as a football player, if you've never done it, you're going to suck at it. Everybody's going to laugh. Everybody's going to have fun and everybody around you is going to suck. So you get in that thought process of, all right, I can fail at somebody, something, and my coach is going to yell at me. All right. I can fail at something in training and I'm not going to get demoted. All right. I can fail at something and my, my teammate isn't going to make fun of me forever. You know, like it's not going to hate me. All right. You get that acceptance feeling like, all right, I can mess up there. Then we transition usually into an agility type game, or maybe it's a fun type game. And you play this fun type game and you tell them you have to do things with your left hand. You have to explore in these motions. You have to do this thing. And they're going to, and again, you're forcing them to fail. You're putting them in awkward situations. You're putting them in games like this and they're going to fail. It's like, all right, I failed there, That, but it was fun. Everybody's like, okay, you know, it's, it's, I, I can fail there. I can explore here. And then you transition them again into a small-sided type game. 
And that's a drill where now it's a little bit more specific. Maybe it's a 2v2 or 3v3. And now you watch them and they're all right with failing and they're exploring. And some of the things that you see on that field, man, blows your mind. You're like, holy shit, how did you create that? How did you do that? How did you become mm -hmm. a, like, you look like offensive masterminds out there. Like you're setting screens, you're picking rolling, you're hitting the spin move that you've never hit before. Like, and it's because you, you kind of built up that trust factor of failings. All right, we're exploring here. And that's the part of sports performance that, we need to be all right with because when you get on the football field, you, you can't fail on Saturday, you know, like that, that on Saturday is the day, like that's when it all comes together and it has to happen. And that's why sport coaches will get like, yes, they're, they're hard asses, but they also kind of have to be. Cause if you fuck up on Saturday, like it's seven points and people could lose their jobs, you know? So like you, you, you have that setting. So in the sports performance around building up into it, you have to get them all right with failing and then ideally in practice, you're doing that too. You're, you're working on that in practice, but then it comes game time and you've, you've already explored this. You understand what your body's capable of. Now you've been in all these awkward situations. You have got beat and in a game, you're going to get beat too, but now you're able to bounce back from it. And you understand why you got beat rather than looking at it in the sense of, all right, I got beat on Saturday. I've never got beat in practice because I've never explored a situation I haven't been in. I haven't for sure. Haven't got beat in the off season when I'm in sports performance world, because all we do is lift weights. So First time I got beat, I'm a shitty football player. That guy's better than me. It's like, all right, that's not it. You need to dive into those rabbit holes a little bit more. I used to think that a team with like a perfect record or perfect season or they win 70 to three every game was like what you're trying to achieve. But then it's like, it doesn't like, I really think you have to get punched in the mouth at some point in a season or in your career in order to like get to that next level that you're trying to get to. And most people don't want to go through that. They don't want to lose their homecoming game. They don't want to lose uh, when they're the number one team in the country or the number one team state. They don't want to like lose to their rival, but like you need to go through that at some point. And ideally it happens in a uh, lesser control or lesser pressure setting, like practices, like scrimmages, like in the heart of that. So like when game times comes, like it's not the first time you get punched in the mouth. But for me, it really shifted over the last couple of years where you see these teams that are, they're undefeated all the way to the end of the season. And then they lose because they've never been down 10 in the fourth quarter. They've never, you know, give up two late touchdowns and now they got to get a field goal to win the game. Um, do you see that all with teams with, with facing adversity early on in practice, like in that smaller setting? And then when the bright lights come on, they're ready to go. Yeah. And I think, again, that comes back to, cause you can't, that's the tough part. Like you, you coaches, like you don't like losing as a coach, but you, you do have that benefit of like, all right, you got, you, you right. have lost or you had that adversity and now you're able to fight back. And ideally you have that adversity and then you win. So then you can build on that. It's always a great piece, but you can't set your team up to face adversity on game day. Cause if you lose, like that's never good, especially in like a division right. three or division one setting where if you right. lose, like a lot of times you're out of the playoffs, like you can't, you can't mess up in that regards. You can't play right. around there. So then it mm -hmm. comes back to that smaller setting of you better make sure your practices are adverse. Like you better yeah. make sure your practices are competition based. You better make sure you are failing in practice. Cause if your practices are smooth and everything's clean, it's not what a game is going to look like, you know, like, and then that adversity is going to hit and it is going to be the first time. And that's the best sport coaches I've been around. It's like, what is their focus? even if the technical and tactical part aren't like set up to the tech, like the perfect sports performance model, maybe they're not measuring the volume, the perfect amount, like what they 
do a phenomenal job of is they build out their practices in a sense of this is the adversity they're going to face today. This is the situation we're going to put them in today that challenges them. Maybe it's physically, maybe it's mentally, maybe it's tactically, you know, but there's a focus there. Like you're thinking about this, you're doing these questions rather than we're going to run this, these plays. So it looks pretty. So we feel like we have these plays mastered. Like you, you need, it's the intense is same as the intent behind exercises. Like you need to have an intense behind that practice. For sure. And if you don't set that up strategically throughout the year, you might burn your players out. You might lose their trust. You might have discontent within your coaching staff. And one issue, and this isn't a black and white issue, but one issue I typically have, whether with, with coaches, whether it's sports or in training, is when a kid messes up or is not paying attention or is late, like usually the punishment is physical activity. And I think there's a disconnect between trying to teach kids the like the power and the and the positives of physical activity when it's always used as punishment. Also, then it kind of teaches that mindset of I don't want to screw up because I don't want to run at the end of practice. I don't want to do up downs. I don't want to do extra cardio in the weight room at 6 a.m. Do you have a struggle with this talking to other coaches or, or seeing other coaches excessively using physical uh, exercise as punishment for, for those issues. I don't think I have a trouble with it because I feel like I put out enough stuff. Like those coaches are not going to come and talk to me like that. Mm. That's dude, man. Like if you're, it's not even on your radar. Cause it's bro. You have you, other things to worry about. If you're having your 10 year old kids run killers at the practice, cause they messed up in a, like a, a 10 year old football game, a high school football game. Like, come on, man. Like, right. uh, yeah, dude, that stuff. I, th I think I put out, out enough stuff there to like that those coaches stay far enough away because that's sure. just the dumbest thing. Like, and, and you talk about like, even like, even the weight room session is like, you talk, like you, they approach it in like the grind, the grind, the grind, the grind. It's like, all right. So you have a kid that doesn't like no shit. They don't like going to workout because you talk about it in the grind. You talk about how tough it's going to be you talk about how hard. Uh -huh. And there's some players that react well. And again, they react well to like, they want to be a part of that. They want to like, they like that. And that's all right. You, you preach that message to them. You tell them that, but for the other players, and usually it's your best players. Cause they, 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 they they're the best players. Cause they like playing the game. Why are we not approaching training in that sense? Like, all right, this is what we're going to do today. It's going to be, it's going to, we're going to get a ton of volume in. We're going to get a ton of work done, but it's going to be fun. Like you're going to enjoy this. Like the amount of times I've had players tell me like, this is the best part of their day. Like, waking up at six in the morning to come and train is the best part of their day. Like that's what it could be. And yet we approach it and we put the same exact mental, like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to run. Like, I don't want to go train because you told me it's going to suck. Like you, you put that in my head. Of course it's going to suck. Like, and we get, I promise you, like we, it's, it's not all fun and games. You can just psychologically approach it in a way that is going to be enjoyable for that athlete. And there's just a lot of people out there that aren't doing that. And we wonder why the athletes don't like coming to lift. We wonder why attendance rates are low. Uh, there's much better ways to do it. And a lot of it's just the ego of the strength coach themselves of like wanting to show how tough their program is. And I don't think it's that hard to make it that interesting or that fun or that entertaining for the kid. So like if, if I were ever to come work out your gym, the, like two things I would think of is like, Hey, if I do a really cool, like ISO, like if I hold a lot of weight for a long time, he might put me on a social media, tag me like, that'd be really cool. And then like the other one is like, you guys play all these fun games and I, and like, I, 
your whole thing is in games and fun. Like it's work, but there might be this 10 minute game at the end where we're throwing a med ball over a fence or we're playing some kind of tag or like we're doing some cool drill. And like, that's what I'm going for. And that doesn't take very much time out of the workout. If it's a 70 minute workout and 10 minutes is of game and 30 seconds is you taking a Instagram video, like that's what is required to get the buy-in. Like it's, 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 it's totally worth it rather than just grind, 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 volume, 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 like push, 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 like find a way to get that your audience captivated. And it seems like you've done a really good job with that. Well, I, I can take that two ways because you look at the the med ball volleyball game, let's say something like that, like these game based people look at it as like, all right, that that's the fun part. You get the buy in. It's like, yes, that is a part of it. And that's yes, I love doing that. And that's why you get the athletes. But it's also like, look at the work and the intent that is done in those throws, you know, like that is right. something that that's a big piece of it because of the other side, like the hard strength coach is going to be like, oh, he's just playing games, he's just doing this shit. I'm like, Bro, we just got 200 med ball throws done. Like you did your five by three med ball throws. Like we got 15 versus 200 med ball throws done because we we did it in a way where the athlete didn't even know they were throwing a med ball. Like they had no idea. They were tossing and we get the change of directions. All right, now we're running sprints and we're going to do um, stick catches with the sprints. You're going to have athletes sprinting as hard as physically possible and then maybe diving for something or putting themselves in awkward positions. But you're the intent because they don't want that stick to drop. We, we just got 40 sprints in, you know, and without them, even they're not, they're not, they're, they made, they're breathing heavy and they're sweating, but there's not like you do tell an athlete to go run 40 times, 10 yard sprints. They're going to last five sprints until the intent dies and they're worthless, you know, like it's going right. to look gross. Uh, so the amount of volume we are able to get into that, that session of the play based stuff blows me away. And the cool, like the amount of crazy results we've seen from it is insane. Uh, there was a second route that I want to take this that I, I'm trying, I'm blanking on now, but yeah, that, that, that was a piece that I want to up. Maybe I'll hop back on when I, when I think about it, but yeah, that, that, the, the volume piece of that, like there's an insane amount of work that's getting done in that little bit of time that most people are not, they're, they're not even paying attention to. Exactly. Like you're, you're keeping the goal, the goal, but like you're distracting them with like a game or a rule or a ball and like you're getting to that goal that common destination, like it's a lot more fun. It's a lot faster and it's like more enjoyable and you're getting more effort. Like it's all these positive things. And it, it takes like a little bit of planning on your part, a little bit of like hyping up the game or like creating the competition or reading the room. And I think that's what separates like a standard, like run on the middle coach versus someone who's outstanding, who's excellent, who has been through training and understands like, we need to add these things to make the best environment. And it seems like you've done a really good job of that with the athletes you work with. Well, and you talk about the distraction piece too. And this is something that I've worked on is like how I plan my workouts now is almost all psychological. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't, man, it, it's kind of crazy how, like if I look at my program five years ago, it was like so West side and I was focused on, all right, we're going to hit max push here. We're going to hit plyo push here. Yep. And it was like, that's how it <laughs> planned. And now it's like, all right, I have a high part of the day where we're going to get a great, uh, great energy and buy-in. And now how can we take them from that state to a super low state where it's struggle, they're interior, they're not distracted, they have nothing to really take them out of it. And then how can we come back to this high? And then how can we end with that low? And how can we see the psychologically bump between these two states? So you have an athlete that's phenomenal with that distraction, with that play-based activity. That's great. That's awesome. We can get them in that heightened state. It's probably the first time all day they've been able to do it. 
But now how can we get them from that heightened state to, all right, it's just you by yourself with your own mind. And now you're all the way back down in this little state into something that's probably going to suck. Uh, and that's, that's where the ISO psychologically come into play. All right. Now you just got done with that. You got done with that psychological warfare that you, you had to battle with yourself. Your body told you at one minute, you're going to quit. You know, you can do three minutes. You fought through it. You got the three. All right. Your body, know you can do more. And you got that whole psychological warfare piece. All right. Now your gas from that, you just got in there. Now, how can you bring it back up? All right. And that's sports, man. It's like sports. You come in the big kickoff, everybody's super hyped is, and then first drive you get scored on. All right. Now you're back here. Everything's yeah. tight. Everything's yeah. here. Can you expand back up and now trying to get those ebbs and flows and honestly you get them used to it but a lot of that doesn't carry over to the situation piece of football or the situation piece of the sport but what it does do is it lets you see that athlete and how they respond because that is a big piece it's like all right you have an athlete that psychologically can't get heightened they can't do that first part of the game they can't get excited for that you need to you need to talk about why you have that athlete that can't drop back down and they can't right. go into their own mind with those ISOs and everything is like, I can't do this. Uh, I'm pissed. Uh, this sucks. And then you just see the athlete break mentally. It's like, all right, how many times that's opened a conversation piece for me to dive into that? Like, all right, what's happening there? That, 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 like what's happening. And we can take that and now we can apply that. And you get this whole psychological piece tied into the training that I think is super powerful. When you were an athlete, did you have a harder time coming up from the downs in a game or coming down from the ups in a game? And what did you do to work on that? Absolutely coming down from the ups. I was yeah. very much a raw, raw guy my entire life. Uh, everything's energy based. I'm sure as you can tell, like talking on this podcast, like a thousand words a minute, like go, go, go. Uh, I never even knew like how to downregulate. Like I, <laughs> I, there's so many times where it's like, just go, uh, caffeine, like boom, uh, shitty sleep, uh, anxiety, you know, like think that there's no, there's no, it's like, all right, I can't fail. I can't fail. Fuck. Somebody's coming. Like, and it drove me for a long time. Like it was great. Like it wasn't great, but it drove me for, it led to a lot of success in a lot of pieces of my life. But I got to a point where it's like, do I want to continue to do that with my life, man? Like, do I want to continue to chase the next thing that then continue to like be driven by this anxiety? Because somebody, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to fail or something like that, you know, like, uh, so that it's like, we talk about, I talk about with my friends, but like the inner demons where it's just telling you like that something bad's going to happen. You, you have that peace going on, or am I just going to like spend some time with my, my own brain and figure out some of these pieces. And that's something that I've done a much these past two years. I I'm not even the same person I was in college. And that's something that I, I pride myself on. It's not even the same person, like the amount, how much I know myself now, how much I'm able to downregulate, how much I'm able to really know the psychological piece and how much I'm able to apply that with my athletes now. Cause before it was when I was coaching athletes, it was like, I could get them heightened. I could get them excited. It's like, that's such a small piece. Anybody can do that, man. Like anybody with a cutoff t-shirt and biceps can get your athletes hyped. How can you dive into their minds and understand what they're actually going through and the other pieces uh, that's going on with it. And that's something in the past two years, I've spent a ton of time on. When I was in playing sports growing up, I would say more than 90% of games or track meets, I just like would hope the other team wouldn't show or the track meet would get canceled or like it'd be bad weather and we couldn't play. I would get so anxious like the day of games or the day of the event. And then 
like right before the event, listen to all this like crazy pump up music and just get super elevated. And then like the game starts and then like the elevate, like that, all those endorphins like wear off and then you crash. And then like a basketball game, like I realized this in basketball games, you just like constantly watch the score. So like you're up to zero, like you're happy. And then you're down four to three and then you're sad. And then it's just like up and down and up and down. And it's like, it's so amazing. I like survived any of that. And like everything that I know now about down regulation, about breathing drills, about like mental focus, about like, like the score for a basketball game doesn't matter. Like for the most part until the last like five minutes. And then it's like, okay, maybe like we're down eight, we got to like speed it up a little bit or we got to take like different shots. Or if we're up eight, like we do a little different, but like if you're riding the wave up and down every single, like it's football, same way. Like, oh, pick six. Like, I'm so sad. Like I'm mad at my quarterback. Like this isn't going to go well. And then like, score a touchdown and then like oh yeah we're the best team ever and it takes like a really uh, uh skilled athlete and not like physically skilled like mentally skilled to say like all right let's stay like somewhere in the middle here it's okay to go up and down a little bit but this roller coaster it's gonna crash and burn at some point um so those have been my experiences in sports and now i hope i can teach other people like here are some strategies to stay more in the middle so you're not and it's hard to come down from a high, like you said, like who doesn't want to be like super excited when something goes well, but I think it takes a, a very mature athlete to understand in order to have the long-term success that we want, we got to ride this thing in the middle more from game to game, from practice to practice, from season to season in order to achieve the things we want to achieve. Well, and then the, it's the piece of, and this is something I focus on with my athletes is exposing them. So I talk about athletes or I talk about people in real life. Like there's so many people that are just sitting at like, you think a scale of zero to 10, so many people in life that are just sitting at kind of a five, you know, like they never, they never go low enough. They never downregulate enough. They never really spend any time with their own mind. They never really relax to go to that zero. So they don't have enough energy ever to go up to a 10 and to really elevate their performance and really take that next level. So they're just sitting at this baseline five. And that's something I really try to do with my athletes is expose them to the lowest of lows. Like, all right, we're going to spend 20 minutes meditating. You're going to, you're going to have to sit here and we're going to do this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks until you can sit there. There's so many athletes that you have them sit and meditate, man. And they can't, they cannot sit. They can't, they can't, they got to itch. They got to move. They got to do like, you're telling me that person's at peace. You're telling me that person doesn't have things going on in their head at all times and running on autopilot at all times. And now what happens when they, they need to clear their mind and make a really, really good choice under pressure when that adder added pressure is added during the game. So exposing them to lows, getting them to understand what a low really is. And then the game will get them exposed to that 10, you know, like we'll, we'll elevate them to that 10 and we'll get them into that piece. So we're, all right. They understand what heightened is. They, they understand, oh, that's competition. That's what's happening. All right. So now you've been to the 10. Now you've been to the zero. How can we find the middle ground? How can we ebb and flow? So like we can go to that 10 so we can perform. We can do these things. But you understand you are at the 10 rather than just being like me, where it's like you're just riding the emotion of the 10. Like it's just spiking up. Oh, this feels great. Oh, this feels oh, fuck. We're losing. You know, like it's just the emotion of the 10 rather than understanding. All right this is going good. I'm in the moment. I'm feeling great at a 10. Something's going on. All right. I need to understand. I can, I can, I can lower myself. I can bring myself back down. I can be here. All right. Now we need to 
after the game, we need to be coming down all the way to that zero. And there's so many people that we, we, we don't talk about it. We don't focus on it. We don't give our athletes tools that look at these things. And then they're always at that five to a seven. And it's just the buzz, 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 buzz. And then game day, they'll be able to heighten themselves up really, really high because of stimulants, because of what's happening on the field of play. And then it's just in, like there's there's they don't know how to come down from that. And the, right. the anxiety piece, the stress piece, the fidgeting piece, like the, the, we just need to give them more tools. We need to talk about this more with our athletes. And once that happens, they, they, they auto-regulate it themselves. They, they, they've been there. They understand what's happening. They understand where their head's going. All right, they got their emotions taken a little bit too far, but they understand how to bring it back down. And we at least gave them some tools to work on that. It's almost like a fire. Like anyone can put a fire out or like make it as like hot as possible. But like, can you turn that temperature up and then turn it down when you need to? And then like put it really low for a long period of time because you don't need it, but then bump it back up when you need it. And figuring out those skills and those uh, those techniques and and honestly, like having the people in your life that help you like like do that because it's really hard to do by yourself. It's really hard to if you're doing really well and being successful to not take all this positive feedback and think like you're better than you are you don't need to work as hard like you need some people around you to keep you grounded but also like to pull you out of the well when you fall in like when things are in the dumps and you're struggling and you're not feeling connected so having like that that circle around you is equally as important as like learning those skills yourself exactly and and having almost like one thing I really push my athletes to, and it, it's right away, it isn't bought into, but getting them to understand, not from me, not from me telling them, not from anybody else telling them, but having them read some philosophy, like having them read some of the books that I'm reading so they can go into that. And like coach will say, oh, it's your job to relate the message. It's like, yes, we are, we are relating the message. Yes, I have this knowledge, but if they can read it, if they can really go to the source, if they can take their own meeting and they like in right. that moment, they're like, all right, this is the the stoic way of doing it. All right, this is what this person's saying to do in this moment. All right, I can relate this. I that that happened back in history. I, I'm going through that failure piece. It, I'm not the only one. And I think that's been something that's really really cool that that we've been able to implement here is like, go read this book. Like we're a sports performance center, we're a gym. Go read this book. Like you, what place what place is talking to you about that? Like how are you doing that? Like instead of go lift this weight, it's it's go read this book. They go read this woo wooey ass like philosophy type book that is telling you all these different things about your life go read that and then come back and then we can get the lift in and then we can do this type of stuff but again it, it, it's just being able to take the step out of the sports performance world being able to take the step out of the three by tens and that focus and having a broad spectrum to look at it like this person's a human there's so many pieces that go into that let's focus on all of these pieces rather than getting their biceps bigger can you give an example of a book or a reading that you give out to a lot of athletes that you find beneficial? Yeah. Illusions and awareness are the two kind of main ones that I've been giving out um, that really, they really blew my mind. And they, they were big kind of eye openers for me. And I give them to a lot of my athletes. Illusions one that's more of a story. And I give it to the athletes that aren't as, let's say it's like the college football player that isn't as deep into this uh, realm right now. Uh, and that's one that you can give to them. And it's, it's the story through the same message. And then awareness is one that I'll give to the athletes that are really, really into this stuff. And it's a little bit of a deeper dive into how to look at life and how to be, how to pay attention. I'll definitely have to check those out and do, I like to read a lot and, uh, 
I sometimes get in this, this trend of kind of reading the same things. Cause it's like things that I like, things that I'm interested in, but that doesn't like push the boundaries. Same thing with like having your athletes meditate. It's not what they're used to doing or what they like to do maybe, but it pushes their boundaries to make them like not only a better athlete, but like a better human, like a better, better person, a better open to developing relationships, developing the careers, developing their habits. And sometimes we need a coach to help push us that far because we can't push ourselves that far. Do you find yourself uh, pushing those bounds, like helping those athletes push those boundaries? Yeah. And that, that's again, like I, I view myself in all aspects of like creating the environment and how can you create the environment that, that, that naturally builds that out? I don't believe you can really force anybody to do anything. I can't force anybody to read that book. I can build an environment in which they're coming to me to ask about books. Then that that's where it happens. That, that's like, if I give somebody a book, like and force, like, Hey, go read this. And I think I might've said it in that way early. Like, that's not the way it is. It's we're talking about these things. They get interested in these things. We're building out an environment in which we're talking and it's open about these things. And then an athlete's like, all right, Hey, is there, is there any book that you're, that you're talking about in here? Like, is there, is there any way, like, I, I'm, we, you brought this message up. Like, where'd you get that from? Like, what are you talking about? And it's like, Oh, it's from this book. All right. And then you get to read the book and then you can dive into it. So it's less, the rah-rah less pushing people. It's more just, Hey, we're going to build an open environment here. Everybody that's and we talk, tying it round from what we we're talking about earlier. It's like, you're going to be yourself in here. Like if you're not yourself in here, people are going to eat you alive in here. Cause you, you're not going to, it's not, you're going to be able to tell like, it's, you're not yourself. Like every person that comes in here is able to open up. And obviously it's not right away. You got to build in that trust, but it happens so quickly. Now it's like, once you have a couple athletes do that, then another new athlete joins that group. And it's like, Oh, these guys are being themselves. Uh, I can be myself. I can do this. I can say these things. I can be funny. I can, I can risk it a little bit. I can say some of these things. And now you're just building out that environment. It's the same as the games, but you're not forcing that athlete to do anything. You're just building an environment where they're able to ask these questions that where you're talking about these things, where it's an open based environment. And then you naturally and organically kind of push them past and expose them to some of these ideas that, I wish I would have been exposed to, you know, that, that that's kind of my whole thought process. I wish I would have been exposed to the ideas. These ideas would have helped me a ton in sport. They, they, they currently do. They help me in life. They help me in sport. So now getting them kind of addicted to the, these, to these messages, to these, the, this kind of rabbit hole of challenging things and asking questions and being interested in life like that. That's a, that's a key component. And that's something that I think I pride myself in our gym doing. I think all that extra effort you put in like up front and into each athlete not only is going to pay off like in the short term, but in the long term, they're going to know like you cared about them, that you gave them everything that you had, that you set them up for future success. They weren't just like a number to you. They just weren't uh, like a cool following. Like you put like your heart and soul into them and like down the road, like they're going to appreciate that. They're going to pay it forward. They're going to help other people. Uh, and thanks for, for paying it forward, uh, coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it, Austin. I look forward to listening to your podcast. I'll have to come over to the gym sometime. Uh, keep posting on social media. And thanks for being such an inspiration to uh, coaches and athletes out there. Coach, thanks for having me on. This is like one of the most, we talked about before we started recording about how like organic podcasts and force podcasts, I feel like you and I just rifted there, man. Like that, that was awesome. I, I love having like other podcast hosts like, on the show because they know like what it's like to think about things like let's dive a little bit deeper. Let's try talk about different things. And, uh, and for you, like, you know, like weird and unique and different, like 
always have like these like negative connotations, but like I see them as super positive. My girlfriend just asked me yesterday, like, do you think we're normal? And I'm like, well, in some contexts is like, we are normal. Like we have like typical jobs. Like I'm a physical therapist. Like you're a nurse, well, to be a nurse practitioner. Like you just got, you know, like we do like normal things, but I think like our personalities and our interests and our, like the beliefs that we have, like are unique, they are different, but they, like, they make us special. Like they're not a bad thing. Like they're something we should embrace and like strive for. And like, yeah, like we, we listen to Harry Potter music all the time. Like we're obsessed with Harry Potter. Like we, we like play games, like board games, like all the time. Like we do all these things that not everyone else always does like things like that. So uh, I see that a lot in you and I'm just excited to get to know you more. Like whether we, like I said, come to the gym, listen to your podcast. I'm really rambling right here. Usually I try to cut the rambling, but thanks again for hopping on the show. Yeah. And to, to end, I'm also a huge Harry Potter fan. So that's probably why this whole podcast went well. There we go. What's your favorite book? I, I geeked out about seven. So seven, every, every other yeah. book when I was growing up was already out for a while. Sure. Um, but seven, I waited in like the, uh, the midnight release. I waited in the like line for that. Like I was, I was in deep about that. And then the yeah. nice thing, like I was able to read all the books straight. So I never, like my uncles always had to wait like a couple of years cause they were coming out when they were yeah. growing up, but I got to read all the books straight and then seven released and I got to go get it. And man, that, that mystical journey, man, that that's something special. If people that haven't read Harry Potter, like you need to do it. Starting on the, either like the fourth book or the fifth book, I would go to Walmart and like, I begged my mom, like who go to Walmart at midnight, like get it. And I would read it in like two or three days. And I always got made like fun of like all my brothers would be like, Oh, you're reading that book. Like, and then like, it's just like, it's another thing. It's like, yeah, it was probably weird. probably a little different, but like, that's what I like to do. Like, that's what makes you unique. Like, so glad you like Harry Potter. Only Harry Potter fans on the podcast. So appreciate yeah. it. I love it.